I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney Julia Hesse, a partner at law firm Choate, Hall, and Stewart. Julia is a featured speaker at HIMSS 19. So, Julia, as we know, healthcare organizations such as hospitals might have thousands of connected medical devices in their environments, which present an array of security challenges. However, we also see other kinds of Internet of Things devices showing up in healthcare environments. What are your biggest privacy and security worries when it comes to IoT devices in healthcare settings, what sorts of IoT devices are you most worried about? Well, Marianne, I think, you know, coming at this question from the lawyer's perspective, we tend to look at the IoT devices and advise our clients against using network devices that serve no specific medical purpose. And I think that there was the rise a few years ago, especially of internet-connected light bulbs and internet-connected beds. From our perspective, the security risks associated with allowing that type of networked device outweighs the patient care benefit, at least at the moment, until those devices have more robust security provisions and or until there's more evidence for the either patient care benefit or even the consumer benefit associated with them. So on the security side, we simply think that the security outweighs the benefit. On the privacy side, you know, I frame the privacy risks a little differently, and I wonder if you agree, in that I, I generally consider privacy to be characterized as, you know, who's authorized to access, use, and disclose your personal information. And on from the privacy concerns, the IoT devices that we worry about in the healthcare space, it's not the concerns we have are not unique to IoT devices, and instead it's much more what data are being gathered, is there transparency with the patient or consumer about that data, and is the recipient of the data engaging in secondary use. So if we take the example of the Internet-connected light bulb, if that light bulb were capable of gathering information about the patient stay or even about that individual, we are concerned that there's lack of transparency on the privacy side for a patient as to what their data are going to be used for. So now, Julia, what about the security and privacy precautions that healthcare entities should be taking with these IoT devices? I know you recommended, for instance, if it was an IoT sort of light bulb, you know, don't use it. But if there are devices that are IoT devices and they're not medical devices, but these organizations still want to use them in their healthcare environments, short of banning these devices, what should they be doing? Should this be part of their risk assessment and how should it be part of that and how should they go approach mitigating whatever kind of security risk might be involved? Yes. Well, Marianne, what we're seeing from the regulators is that at a, as a baseline expectation, we're seeing regulators expecting healthcare providers to be monitoring all of the traffic on their network and to be conducting security assessments associated with that traffic. So it, as an example of the IoT devices, if there is a device that's connected on the network, that healthcare provider will be expected to have known that and to have done some level of risk assessment associated with that. Ironically, well, maybe not ironically, but the the trend we're seeing in enforcement is that 
the guidance that providers receive on the front end in terms of regulatory guidance, the regulators essentially all say the same thing, that a provider is obligated to take reasonable security precautions and assess and remediate all reasonably known risks. But what we find is on the enforcement side, regulators have taken the position that if a breach occurred, that, of course, the risk must have been knowable and the provider must have failed adequately to have assessed and remediate the risk. So an example of this type of post hoc enforcement is the recent multi-state HIPAA enforcement action that was led by the 12 attorneys general against medical informatics, engineering, and no more clipboard. And and that incident, while it wasn't specifically related to IoT, it was a a hacker-related incident, but the regulators essentially declared that the fact that the hackers were able to obtain access to that system was de facto evidence that the system was inadequately secured. So circling back to, you know, the precautions, when regulators tell you that the minimum expectation is that you are to know all of the devices that are on your network and you are at least obligated to be monitoring what traffic is on and off, I think that is where I would be recommending providers to be focusing. So, Julia, when it comes to cloud-based services involving patient data, what sorts of cloud-based services are you most concerned about when it comes to safeguarding patient data? I don't have particular concerns about cloud services as compared to more traditional data hosting services, but for the fact that I think that the enforcement climate and the regulators perhaps don't realize quite how concentrated the amount of data that are being held by a relatively small number of cloud services providers are. And it's my impression that we're almost at the level where there are three or four cloud services providers that are essentially acting as a utility between providing direct first-line hosting of healthcare provided provider data and hosting the, being the hosting for the redundant systems and hosting the data on behalf of business associates and downstream subcontractors. I believe it's the risk is more in aggregation of data than in any particular type or single cloud service provider. So, Julia, with that said, what's your advice to healthcare entities concerning their use of cloud-based services involving patient data, especially if they are dealing with one of the vendors that are sort of like these utilities? Well, Marianne, and this is definitely a lawyer's remark, please, I'm asking them, please read the contract that you have with your cloud services provider. Many times we're seeing that providers or other uh, downstream subcontractors engage a reputable cloud services vendor that has many security protections available to them, but then the provider or services provider fails to select those security precautions. So the failure uh, that I see or the most effective precaution is to be very attentive in the onboarding process in order to select the security provisions that the provider actually needs and is expecting to receive. So now, Julia, we've seen ransomware attacks and other kinds of cyber attacks on cloud-based EHR vendors impacting the ability of healthcare providers to access their patients' records. What are the most important security lessons that you think have emerged from some of these attacks and cases that we've seen? The most important legal lesson that we've learned from those types of attacks is that regulators looking at the incident after the fact often 
criticize providers who don't have truly redundant disaster recovery systems, meaning that if the cloud-based vendor is storing the primary data, their expectation is that the disaster recovery or failover system should be maintained by a different redundant provider, that it's simply not enough to have a single cloud services provider providing both primary and secondary data systems. And the recommendation I make to our clients is that if a secondary data services provider, if you need to select one where they're not completely seamless failover, if for some technical or for financial reasons you can't have a seamless failover to your disaster recovery system, it is better to have an independent disaster recovery system, even if there's a small lag or time delay that there may be, you may be a week behind in your disaster recovery system, that's better than counting on a single cloud services provider that may not truly be providing you the disaster recovery that you're expecting to receive. And finally, Julia, looking ahead to the rest of this year, is there a particular cybersecurity challenge, a, a top challenge that you think the healthcare sector will be dealing with that they are just not prepared to do so but need to up their game on? From the legal perspective, I perceive the largest challenge that providers will face over the upcoming year is the increasingly fragmented enforcement mechanism. Marianne, we're seeing that we have the federal HIPAA regulators. As I mentioned earlier, the state attorneys general are becoming very active both on HIPAA enforcement and we're seeing much more substantive state data security and data privacy legislation, such as what was recently passed in California, that touches healthcare, even if it's not exclusive to healthcare. So again, we're in a position where a provider that is attempting to do all the right things and pay attention to all the right guidance now has an even higher burden because they have even more agencies and authorities that are looking over their shoulder, often with inconsistent advice. Thanks, Julia. I've been speaking to attorney Julia Hesse. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.